Hey, can we, if, if you actively serve in the military in any of the branches or have served, can you just stand so we can say thank you tonight? Come on, just stand up. Yep. That's good. Just, just stay standing for a minute. Father, we just, we, just, we just pray for those that are standing. And, and we also pray for the families they represent. Father, we, just, we, we pray that, that, that your continued blessing and an open heaven would follow them all the days of their life. You make some big promises in Scripture, Father. And one of them is that with the measure that we give, it will be returned to us. And, and then you give a description. You say a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into our laps. We pray that blessing over them and their families, Father, for the sacrifices that they make, Father. We pray that blessing would come to them many times in turn. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, it's good. Well, if you're visiting with us tonight, we are in a series that we launched back in February. Uh, we've been in it all year. Uh, there's a website that you can go to. I would encourage you to check it out. You're going to learn a lot about who we are as a church. This website called letspraxis.com. There's a slide there on the screen, and uh, you can get there. There's a mobile site if you're on a phone or a computer. There's a, a computer site uh, if you're looking for a bigger screen. Uh, and it just it's going to talk to you about what we believe about discipleship how we do discipleship, and then this series, this entire year, has been exploring the various aspects of this model. And two of the pathways that that we talk about here as a church are stewardship and generosity, and and those are the pathways that we've been digging into for the last several weeks, and we're going to be in them all the way through Thanksgiving. And, And we've entitled this part of the series, Treasures in Heaven, because of the verse that's given to us in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Where, where Jesus talks about this idea of storing up our treasures in heaven. Now, now we've been saying, right, that, that, that treasures in heaven, it's not my motivation, but it's my revelation. It's not my motivation in the sense that I'm doing things that I'm supposed to do here because of something that I'm going to get there. It's, it's our revelation in the sense that there's treasure there waiting for us because God wants our focus to not be on the prize. I think he wants it to be on the place. That, that heaven is a place that we want to be. Part of that is because of the things that he has there waiting for us. I've been pastoring since 1999, and I can tell you without any doubt, the greatest impediment that I find in people's lives when they feel frustrated and stuck is that there's an unwillingness in their life to defer to the authority of Scripture in their life. And I share that with you tonight because I want to I preach into the series a little bit uh, before we get into the specifics of this message because I think a lot of times that there are certain things in the Bible, even like that promise that we prayed over our veterans, we like those parts of the Bible, right? We're like, come on, God, I'll, I'll take some more of that. But then there's other parts of the Bible that we're a little bit reluctant to really give ourselves to because of the demands that it makes on us. Listen to these verses. It's in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. It says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he says. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen to this in verse 30. It says, My yoke is easy, 
to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, now this language was, was, was very specific in Jesus' day. It wasn't just an agricultural metaphor. It's language that was very specific to Judaism. A rabbi had an interpretation of the, of the scriptures, which right where then was just the Old Testament, especially the Mosaic Law, and his interpretation was called his yoke. That, that was the language of the day. And, and when you embraced a certain rabbi's interpretation of Scripture, what you were saying was, I, I, I'm going to yoke myself to this interpretation of Scripture, and by doing so, I begin to bear the burden of obedience to Scripture as they interpret it. So, so when Jesus is saying that my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's not saying that when we follow him, we're promised a life of ease. What he's saying is, is that he has a certain interpretation of Scripture. He's got an idea about how we're supposed to live this life. And I like how he didn't give up the term yoke, right? He didn't shift it to some other effortless metaphor and analogy. He still calls it a yoke, right? It still means that I have to be willing to be under his authority. When I put on a yoke, it means that I am submitting myself to the one who's got the reins and they're directing my life. Jesus still has a yoke that he expects us to put on. There still should be submission in my heart to the authority of who Christ is and how he leads us to interpret the scripture and the burden that I carry is a burden of obedience to live my life according to Christ's word. So when I'm submitted to the authority of Christ, I am yoked to a burden of obedience to scripture. So much of this series that we've been in all year is pressing ourselves to have a deeper sense of devotion to the word of God. It's, it's for us to come into a place where we examine our lives in reference to scripture and where our life is out of alignment of scripture that we bring it into alignment with scripture. Is that I want to have my heart fully submitted to the authority of Christ. I, I don't want to treat God's word like a buffet and pick and choose the parts and the pieces that I want. I need all of the Bible and the Bible needs all of me. So a few weeks ago, we worked through what are called the four heart questions when it comes to stewardship and generosity. And so tonight, I want to dig into the four money questions. We're going to try to do two of them. I think we'll get through two of them tonight. We'll see. And then we'll either do two next week, or if we only get through one tonight, we'll do three next week. So we did the four heart questions. Now we're going to dig into the four money questions that are connected to generosity and stewardship. Psalm 90 verse 17 says, may the Lord our God show us his approval. And make our efforts successful. Yes, make our effort successful. I like this psalm because it reminds us that there's effort in Christianity. There's work that we've got to do. It's, it really ties in, doesn't it, to this analogy of a yoke and a, and a burden. Again, Jesus isn't saying when you make a vow of devotion to me that you're just on vacation spiritually for the rest of your life and you're just waiting for heaven to come. No, there's purpose and work that he has for us to do in this life. Psalm 90 verse 17 reminds us there's effort that we've got to bring to bear. These four money questions that we're going to talk about tonight require monetary effort. They require some work on our behalf. And these four questions that we're going to look at, they are distinctly spiritual. 
distinctly spiritual. Now, now why do I say that? I, I say that because I think oftentimes as Christians, we, we have biases towards, towards certain paths, these things that we call pathways, which many people call spiritual disciplines. We look at certain ones as being spiritual, and then there's others that we look at being practical. Let me give you an example of that. This is out of Luke 16, 1 through 13. This is the, one of the most confounding stories that you find in Scripture. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him and said, what is this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches or do manual labor. I'm too proud to beg. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer. This is right in scripture. Listen to this. To come to discuss the situation, he asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. The manager told him, take the bill, quickly change it to 400 gallons. How much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat was the reply. Here's, here's the manager. The manager says, take the bill, change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And, and it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends, and then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. You're like, what, really? Jesus taught that? So here's this man, he's being dishonest with his employer's resources. He was getting fired for being wasteful, and now he's being shrewd in what some would even say being dishonest, and he still gets fired, but on his way out the door, the owner of the business compliments him for being savvy, finally. He's like, finally you did something. I wonder sometimes if that's not how God looks at us as we're managing our material resources, which really belong to him. Right? Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So every material resource that's in my possession, it really belongs to God. He's entrusted it to us to use as he would see fit. The question that we've got to start asking ourselves as devoted followers of Christ is do we see the financial responsibilities that we have as practical or do we see them as spiritual? Because I think God sees them as spiritual. We have a bias towards traditionally religious practices like prayer and fasting and worship. But in this parable, Jesus reminds us that stewardship and generosity is, are just as spiritual as those. Reading the Bible, I think all of us would say that's a spiritual activity. How many of you look forward to balancing your checkbook as much as you do your daily devotions? Right? I know it hurts, doesn't it? Balancing your checkbook is just as much of a spiritual activity as reading your Bible. There can be no stewardship and generosity of your material resources if you're not even keeping track of what God's entrusted to you. We would say time and prayer is a spiritual activity, but how about planning for retirement? It's just as spiritual. What about your first fast? If you've never done any type of food fast, I would encourage you, at least by the end of the year, just set a day, just set a day where you give up food. 
Now, if you've got certain dietary restrictions, you can work with your doctor to create a fast, a food fast. And you might say you can fast other things, and I would agree with that. But there's something about a food fast that, 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 that challenges us in a spiritual way. And I would say when you begin to get a sense of authority over your physical appetite for food, you begin to gain an authority over every other appetite that you have in your body. Your first fast. When you do your first fast, you're, you're going to feel like the most spiritual person, right? There should be some type of an award ceremony. I haven't eaten for an entire day, right? You're going to feel this like you're super spiritual. But what about returning an unbudgeted impulse buy to the store because you know you shouldn't have bought it and you did anyways? You're tracking with me? There's, there's, as Christians, we have these biases. We, we, that we, these traditionally spiritual activities like worship and prayer and reading the Bible and God, I think what God says to us is, hey, balancing your checkbook, planning for retirement, following your budget and being faithful to that, that these are just as spiritual because stewardship and generosity is part of the responsibility that God has entrusted to us because God has a plan for the material resources that he's given to us, not just for us to enjoy, but to use them to advance his kingdom. And if we're not being faithful in our planning, I'm telling you the resources aren't gonna be there when God expects them to be to do things for him. The first question is this, the money question that we're going to look at tonight is, am I providing for my family? Am I providing for my family? I'm going to use family in a broad sense because it might be that maybe that you are in the military and, you, and you're, you're, live, you're here from a faraway place. And, and so oftentimes what you find that people will do is, is they find a surrogate family that's here. Maybe you're here for school and your family is elsewhere. And so you've connected to a surrogate family. So, so whatever your inner circle is, whether it's your, your, your family of origin, your family of creation, or maybe it's a surrogate family. Are you providing for your family? So, so when you think of financial responsibilities, we like a little participation here at City Life. When you think of financial responsibilities, what are some that, that come to mind? Raise your hand. Diapers, come on. I loved your post too today about Christmas for adults, right? It's a, just a different list. Was that your post? No? A meme? You didn't do the meme? All right. Who was that? You can't lie in church, Jen. You can't lie in church. I knew it was her, but I didn't want to. All right, Tyler. Say that, home improvement. And you're right in the middle of it right now, right? Come on. What are some other financial responsibilities that you have? Welcome to adulting, right? Child support payments. Child support payments. Yeah, yeah. What else? Somebody, who, somebody's hand over here up. Student loans. Out. Should we just pause on that one? David, back in the corner. Yeah. Food on the table. Putting money in the savings account. Say that again. That's just a double whammy, isn't it? He said vehicle maintenance and taxes. It's a double dose of just, right, of grown up. Somebody else. Financial responsibilities. Chris. Mortgage. Yeah. That's depressing, isn't it? <laughs> Giving. Giving. Yeah. Financial responsibility. Giving. Sue? Your son's insulin. Yeah. Medication. Absolutely. Scotty? Keeping. Keep yeah. Come on. <laughs> See? 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 If, I'm telling you, ladies, you better send your husbands to base camp, right? Saturday mornings. They're learning stuff about husbanding. I know. Come on. Wow. 
you, you got to start seeing that stuff as spiritual. You do. You do. you, you got to stop separating. Now, are there practical things in life? Yeah, there are, there are some things that are practical in this life that, that aren't spiritual. But when it comes to your finances, when it comes to being responsible with your material possessions, those are spiritual activities. that you, If you don't see them as spiritual, this is what begins to happen. You begin to justify your neglect. If you see them as temporal, there is a justification that begins to come into your heart that these things aren't as important as these things over here. You begin to undervalue them. This is part of the deception that the devil wants to bring into our lives. If we only see them as temporal, we see them something as that I have permission to neglect. Even if you neglect reading your Bible, you still realize you shouldn't. Even if you neglect coming to church or the other pathways that we talk about with with gathering and accountability, you have a sense of, I shouldn't be doing that. We've got to regain our sense of responsibility to be yoked up to what Jesus has to say about stewardship and generosity and bear the burden of obedience to what he expects of us in this life. I was thinking about my uncle, it's my mother's brother. He passed away a few years ago, and, and uh, at his funeral, people were getting up and, and, and telling different stories about his life, and his, his, one of his daughters uh, got up and, and told this story. He, 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 he was a, a business-savvy guy. He owned his own con- uh, construction company. He was a carpenter just like his, his father, my grandfather, and, uh, and he was always buying and selling stuff. Always making money by buying and selling stuff. You couldn't ride by his house and he didn't have either a car that was in the yard for sale, or a boat that was in the yard for sale. He would, he would scour, right, for, for deals where there was value and he would buy it and sell. And this is how he provided for his family. He didn't do it to, 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 to live some, 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 some frivolous life. This was part of the way that he earned money and added to what he made from his business to be able to provide for his family. And, and, his, and his daughter told the story about how he found this, this VW bug that was for sale and he drove, and it was for $400, this car, and he did some work on it. But he thought, you know, I could probably talk this guy down and, and, and resell it and make some money off of this thing. So, so he shows up, he, he's got his $300 cash, the guy wants $400, and so Uncle Butch says, hey, I've got three, $300 cash, right, I, right here, right now. And so the guy says, all right, I'll do it. Gives him the title to the car, right, signs the title over to him. Uncle Butch gives him the $300, and a guy pulls up and says, hey, I'm interested in buying this car. And the guy who owns it says, I've already sold it. And Uncle Butch says, how much are you willing to give me for? This is a true story. This is a true story. And the guy says, I was prepared to give $400 the asking price. And Uncle Butch says, it's yours. You take it. I kid you not. Gives him the title, takes the man's $400, hops in his car and drives away. And the guy who sold the car is like, what just happened here, right? It's so great. Yeah. And, and, but this is who he was. If he was still alive today, he would be on Facebook Marketplace probably more than he should, right? Looking for the value. He was motivated, though, not because he, he just wanted more. He was motivated because he, he was such a man of character. And he, and he lived his life in such a way that he was going to find a way to provide for his family and to be financially responsible. He was also one of the most generous men that I've ever known. I remember years ago when I was a teenager, I, was, I would work with him sometimes part-time, and I was, I was heading out for this job, and 
he loved God, and he was telling me this story. He said, Fred, I, he said, I was at McDonald's a, a few weeks ago and, and uh, eating lunch, and there was a, a school bus, you know, pulls up, and all these kids get off the bus. And, and uh, so I'm in there eating my lunch, and there's kids everywhere, and I, I look over, and there's a, there's a special needs child in, in line. And he said, he, he said, all of a sudden, God spoke to me and said, I want you to buy that that young man's lunch. And, and so he said, all right. And so he went to the teacher and said, hey, I, you know, introduced himself. I was just eating lunch and I felt like really God spoke to my heart to buy this young man's lunch. He didn't want to make him feel conspicuous. And so he gave the money to the teacher, right? He's protecting this young man's dignity. And so the teacher's able to step in and then buy this young fellow's lunch. And, and he said, when he, was, when he was sitting there eating his lunch, he, he said his, his my, my uncle was saying that, that tears just began to fall from his eyes because he, he said, Fred, I, I, I felt God's love for this child in such a, a profound way. So he goes, he works the rest of the day, he goes home and he's taken out, right, all the stuff out of his pockets like all of us do, and, 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 and as he emptied his pockets, he had the same amount of money that he put on his dresser minus just the cost of his own lunch, even though he had bought the lunch for that child, right? It's not a lot of money, right? It's not some massive story about him earning thousands of dollars through this, this supernatural moment. But I can tell you this, that, that when we, we begin to walk in obedience to what God says to us, and, and even if the miracle is just $5, that something happens inside of you that you realize God is paying attention to what we're doing. And there's times where he steps in to remind us, I'm watching, and I'm going to bless you, and there's going to be favor over your life, and I'm going to take care of you. Sometimes obedience, when it comes to the finances that God asks of us, math doesn't work. It takes faith. Sometimes, right, this is what's hard for us to grasp. Having less with God's blessing and favor is actually ends up as more than keeping everything and not being obedient and missing out on God's blessing and favor. So many times in this life, I think we miss out on some of those incredible moments where God wants to teach us about living a life that honors him because we don't see those things as spiritual. We see them as practical. Listen to 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Are you kidding it doesn't say, but those who don't teach their relatives about the scripture. It doesn't say those who don't bring their relatives to church. It doesn't say, right, all these other traditionally spiritual activities. But those who don't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household. What's Paul talking to Timothy? He's talking about financially providing for the people in your family. He said they've denied the true faith. And such people are worse. Worse. Than unbelievers. Listen to some of these Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth from get rich quick schemes quickly disappear. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Proverbs 6, 6 says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Proverbs 10, 5 says, a wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during the harvest is a disgrace. What's that about? It means that you don't work for the harvest, but you still want to be fed from it. 
Proverbs 12, 11 says, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Proverbs 20, verse 13 says that if you love sleep, you will end in poverty. Keep your eyes open and there will be plenty to eat. And we move through those pretty quick. If you're visiting with us, the uh, notes for this are always online. You can get it through the podcast page, the PDF, and all those verses will be listed there for you. Why are so many of the Proverbs, why do they speak to finances? Because I think God understood that people at some point were going to slip into this realm of bias that we would only see them as practical and not see them as spiritual. And God is trying to say with a loud voice, see them like you see so many other spiritual activities. So let me just give you, before we move on to the next question, just some practical steps that can help you with your finances. We do life groups here and at the Suffolk campus. At least once every year, we do one called Total Money Makeover that's based on Dave Ramsey's teachings. You don't necessarily have to go to the life group. If you've missed that or you don't want to wait for the next one to come around, you can buy that book. You can do it together. Get together with a couple of other families. Read through that book. The great teaching that Dave Ramsey has that you can look at. In your married life, when we do premarital counseling for couples, we say, hey, you've got to put the budget together as a married couple, but the one who's the most detail-oriented and the one who's the most responsible should be the one that's keeping track of those finances. The biggest mistake that we see that families make when it comes to their budgets are what we call non-monthly expenses. It's the things that don't happen every month. And that's how oftentimes people get into terrible debt. What you should do, if you've never done this before, as an exercise, you, you should, to add up all your non-monthly expenses, you, you, you sit down and you think of every way that you're going to spend money that's not a regular monthly expense, right? Like your utility bill or your, or your, 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 your mortgage payment, all these things that you have have to do. It might be your your car insurance. If you pay that every six months, it can be Christmas. It can be you get invited to baby showers, things like that, right? Every way that you're going to spend money, vacations, car repair, add all of that up. Look at what you've done for the last couple of years. Add that up as one big annualize it, divide it by 12, and then pay that as a bill to yourself every month into a savings account so the money's there when you need it. Don't forget to invest in your rest. Rest is one of our pathways here. If you're going to rest the way that you're supposed to, sometimes that's activities together as a family. You've got to have budget for that. It's spiritual. It's not practical. Take advantage of the technology that's out there. Your bank has all kinds of free software that you can use. There's all kinds of apps that are free that analyze your spending. It's so much easier today. Take advantage of the technology that exists. All right, number two, second question. Am I providing for my relationships? So we talked about am I providing for my family? Am I providing for my relationships? Matthew 9, 9 through 10 says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. When we make a decision to follow Jesus, we're accepting a relational expense into our lives that wasn't necessarily there before. Let me give you another story. Luke 19, 5 through 6. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house, 
in great excitement and joy. That's in Luke 19, and you can read the rest of that story. It's powerful. The same in Matthew 9. You can read the rest of that story and see the generosity that began to flow out of both Matthew and Zacchaeus' life. When, when we make a decision to become a devoted follower of Christ, there's got to be a willingness to have money that we begin to set aside to pursue and build relationships with other people, especially people who don't have a church to call home or don't know anything about the gospel. You've got to be willing to begin to add some things into your financial planning so that you've got resources. Even like after church on a Saturday, somebody comes and visits. You can say, hey, we're heading out to pizza. You don't have to spend a lot of money, but you can just go to a local pizza spot and invite them to come along. That There's a relational expense that comes with devotion to Christ. It's not practical. It's spiritual because sometimes there's an expense that comes with building relationship and especially if we're sitting down with people that maybe don't know about the gospel. To be in a setting that they feel comfortable with. To be in a setting to begin to talk about maybe some of the things that happened in the service that night. Did you know that in the Mosaic Law, it demanded, it wasn't an option, demanded that people set aside money for festivals and celebrations. Yeah. Part of the Mosaic Law dictated to Jewish families percentages of their income that they had to set aside for major feasts throughout the year. According to the New Unger Bible's dictionary, listen to this, upwards of 30%, upwards of 30% of an Israelite's annual income was already allocated through the Mosaic Law, what it demanded of them through tithing, festivals, offerings, and other religious ceremonies. It makes 10% sound a lot nicer, doesn't it? Upwards of 30% when you added all the money. These weren't optional. This was if, if you were going to be a good Jew, the, the, what you had to do, that it was just about over 30%, of your income had to be set aside for religious practices. It's hard stuff, isn't it? Part of what makes it hard is this idea of practical versus spiritual. Part of what makes it hard too is that we like what we think to be ours as being ours, right? There's a hint of selfishness that we all struggle with in this life. And, and, we, and we see our possessions and and. and and you work hard for the things that you've got. It's hard when we work hard for things to let our heart get to a place where we say, God, this really isn't even mine. It's yours. What do you want me to do with it? It's hard to look at the money we set aside for vacation and say, God, is this really what you want me to do with it? It's hard when we've been saving up money for something to enter into a conversation with God, right? Because we're afraid that he's going to take it from us, right? <laughs> this is what we're, we, we, we walk around, nah, I don't want a year, right? I'm just hoping. Now, we like it when he talks to other people about giving to us. We're all about that, right? There's got to be something inside of us that says, this isn't mine. None of it. It's all yours. We get nervous that we're the next, next rich young ruler, right? We get nervous that, that, that Jesus is going to say to us in a time of prayer, I want you to sell it all, right? We're like, oh, right? Because we read the story of the rich young ruler and we're like, how could he not? This is Jesus. He's the savior of the world. And we go, I would have done it, right? No, you wouldn't have. No. 
Most of us, we would have left that conversation sooner. We wouldn't even hung in there as long as he did because we wouldn't have even made it through the Ten Commandments. Come on. (laughs) Go sell it all. See, this is where it goes back to that sermon that we did on the Lord's Prayer, which starts with our Father. If you don't believe that God always has has your best interests at heart, we're gonna be afraid to pray because we're gonna be afraid for what he might ask of us. And for most of us, he's never gonna ask us to sell it all. But something inside of us has got to trust that if he were to do it, that he's got a plan and he's gonna see it through. There's something inside of us that's gotta remember it's a yoke under his authority. And I have a burden of obedience to say yes every time. So this week we were at home and, and uh, we got this package delivered and, and it's a larger box and the home project that's, that's connected to it, we're, I'm not ready to do it yet. And so like I'm gonna stick this box you know, down in the, in the garage and, and uh, our house is, is kind of like a, a tri-level. So you come into a foyer area and, and there's some of the house there, but then there's stairs that go up and then stairs that go down. And, and so you gotta go down the stairs to get into the garage. It's, it's all hardwood floor on the stairs. There's no carpet and so, it's, you know, it's chilly out, so I've got my, I haven't worn these slippers, you know, since last winter, so I've got them on, and, and Vanessa's is, is, is heading down the stairs uh, in front of me, and I've got this big box in my hand going down the, the, the steps, and then the next thing I know, my feet, right, I can see my toes, right? Now I'm six foot three, about 205 pounds, I don't fall gracefully, Are you with me? And so I fall on these, on these wooden steps. Like it's, the house shakes. Claire comes running out of her bedroom for, from upstairs. And I bang my head on the step and whacked my elbow. And Vanessa turns around like her eyes are this big. And I'm just kind of laying there on the steps, right? And you're like a little kid, right, all over again. Am I going to cry or not, right? <laughs> I can't, I'm 50, I can't cry. All right, I gotta move on to the next question, right? Is anything broken? Am I bleeding? I'm like, and so then I say, I look at her and go, I'm okay, I'm all right, I'm all right, right? And so, so, so later that night, right? Later that night, it's in the middle of the night and I, I gotta get up to go pee because that's what you do when you're 50, right? <laughs> you know how old you are by the questions your doctor asks you. Can we just say that? If your doctor isn't asking you whether or not you're getting up to go pee, then you're not old yet, Right? <laughs> And then at some point, the doctor says, right, are you getting up to go pee, right? But you've crossed a whole new threshold, which I'm now in, where they don't ask you if you're getting up to go pee anymore. They ask you how many times you're getting up to go pee, right? How many are you with me? You don't have to raise your hand, I'm just saying, right? <laughs> so, so, right, when you, when, it's, it's a good night's sleep when you wake up and go, I didn't have to get up to go pee, come on, I'm all excited for the day, yeah? So, so this night, had to get up and go pee. I'm crawling back into bed and I forgot that I fell on the stairs that night, right? And I, and I lean on my elbow as I'm getting ready to get into bed. I kid you not, I almost screamed like a teenage girl, right? There's something, there's there's some, I, I didn't even realize how hard I hit it. And so there's, it's so tender. And, and, and when I leaned on it, it was like there was this pain. It's like through your, through your whole body. And, 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 and so, you know, if I scream, then I'm gonna wake Vanessa up and then I'm gonna be, right, then I'm gonna be really in trouble. So I'm like, I gotta, right, screaming in the pillow. No, I'm just kidding. So well, I'm, t- I'm telling you that story Because as you're reading through scripture and maybe working through sermons like this where we're talking about money, these are sensitive things that we talk about. But if we get to certain parts, 
you feel a twinge of pain in your heart, it means that something inside of you is broken in regards to your obedience to this book. See, your, your body is a lot like what's in here. When you've hurt it, when you've wounded it, it's tender. The Bible calls it conviction, which is really just a fancy word for pain. But it's pain that you and I need to tell us where something in our life needs attention. If your body didn't sense pain, right, we would all be dead by now. Because it's your body's way of saying to you, something's wrong. It's an alarm that God built into your, your body. And, and the same is true inside of you. If when we're working through these messages on Saturday nights or when you're reading the Bible, which I hope that you do on your own during the week, and then you just feel this twinge of pain in something that you read, it, it means that the Holy Spirit is saying to you, you got to work on this area of your life. And for you, Maybe for many of you tonight, it could be with your stewardship and your generosity. It could be there's a twinge of pain. You don't like to think of these as spiritual activities. It could be that it's a twinge of pain when we talk about having this sense of divine ownership. It could be there's a twinge of pain when we talk about this idea of stewardship and generosity and under the authority of Christ and the burden of obedience that we carry. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. This is out of 1 Peter 1, 24 to 25. It says, as the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty's like a flower in the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. It's good news whether it warms our heart or whether there's a twinge of pain, it's good news because God's trying to help us walk in obedience to it. The green collection that was on display at Regent University a few years ago, I had a chance to go there and view it. It's the world's largest private collection of sacred biblical texts and artifacts. It consists of more than 40,000 pieces. Obviously, they didn't have it all there, just certain pieces from it. And in the study of ancient biblical manuscripts, there's often a signature by the scribe who copied the text as well as a closing statement known as a colophon. And in Latin, it means the final touch. And the most common to be found in biblical manuscripts is this. O reader, take note. While the hand that copied this text rots in the grave, the word copied lives forever. Stand with me. Father, as we just step into this moment of worship to bring a close to these 90 minutes that we've been together in your presence. We pray, Father, that, that those words that are so often found on those ancient manuscripts, that it would catch our attention that we would remember this book, the Bible, it's not like other books. It's eternal. There's divine authorship. It's from your heart to us. And there's a yoke that we're supposed to carry that puts us under Jesus, your authority, 
that connects us to a burden of obedience to live our lives in step with this eternal word. And for each of us tonight, Father, as we step into this moment of worship, whether it's about stewardship of generosity or maybe it's about something else, help us to feel the twinge of pain in our heart, trusting that you're going to lead us to give it the attention that it deserves. In Christ's name, come on, let's worship together.